Welcome to the Adoptee Diaries, the podcast that explores the journey of adoption and self-discovery from the perspective of an adoptee. I'm Bethany Frazier, your host. Join me as we dive into the raw, unfiltered truths of this complicated and unique experience. We'll focus on the truth, trust, and transparency, the power of community, and sharing our stories. Through personal narratives, expert interviews, and insightful discussions, my number one purpose is to create a safe space for adoptees to share their stories and connect with others who understand, so they're not left navigating alone. This podcast also serves to inform the broader adoption constellation of what our collective lived experience looks like, so they can support us, raise us, teach us, and care for us better, ultimately giving us the option to live fully supported, informed, full, and connected lives. We believe that by shedding light on the challenges and triumphs of adoption, we can inspire hope, healing, and a sense of belonging for all those impacted. So come along on this journey of self-discovery with me. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be back for season two of the Adoptee Diaries. I hope 2024 has been gentle so far. I am truly grateful for the support that you've poured into the Adoptee Diaries throughout the past year. Your feedback has fueled my determination to keep these conversations alive. As a reminder, this podcast serves as a safe space for adoptees to share, a learning ground for adoptive parents, and a resource hub for industry professionals, all with the overarching aim of cultivating lives rooted in truth, trust, and transparency. I am so excited to kick off season two with a very special guest. Today, I am joined by my birth father for an open discussion about our shared story from each of our perspectives and the unbreakable ties that bind us. Our journey restarted in 2020 when I took an ancestry DNA test, which was over 40 years after our initial separation, when my birth mother, without his knowledge or consent, took me. I was six weeks old. He'd never see me again until I found him. For more details on my search and reunion journey, I encourage you to listen to the personal essay that I shared in episode four last season. So I realize the immense fortune in reconnecting with my birth father and his willingness to revisit this chapter of our lives. He accepted my connection with open arms and I acknowledge that this opportunity is so rare. Many of you have bravely shared your own search outcomes, and due to the laws in place during my adoption, the system succeeded in erasing anything that occurred before my ultimate adoption when I was 10 weeks old, making critical information like medical, history, ethnicity, everything. It was a mystery. My story, like so many others, revolves around intentional omissions, around layers of secrets, Even when my birth mother found me in 2005, details about my birth father were guarded, leaving me grappling with the mystery of my own adoption, my own ethnicity. Given the intentional secrecy, I understand that this really is a privilege today, to know my biological father, to know my culture, to have the opportunity to see people who look like me and in some cases act like me, grandma. Unfortunately, I've discovered that withholding information still persists and the family separation continues to be in practice. If it's true that our bodies keep the score, we adoptees bear weary bodies. So today, my birth father and I share our story of love, loss, search, and reunion. With so much ground to cover, I had to break the conversation up into two episodes. I hope that you are able to find peace in our story. Even though there is pain, we are healing, and it is our hope that you do too. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Adoptee Diaries, Birth Father. Well, it's good to be here. You're very brave for saying yes. I'm trying, I was trying to think this morning how I even, I don't even know how this happened. Did we just randomly have a text exchange and I said, Do you want to be on the podcast? And you said yes, and that was that? Yeah, that's right. I mentioned it. Nice. As you talked about it, even like last year, that that would be a good yeah. thing for us to do, but we just never scheduled it. So the yeah. other day you text and said something, I said yes, and here I am. Are you nervous? Well, I think I'm excited. Yeah, I'm not really nervous. I'm more like excited about, you know, talking to you. <laughs> now I can see you, not because we talk on the 
phone or, you know, but this is cool. Do you get nervous? Do you even get nervous about stuff? Or are you just kind of like kind of cool? No, no, I, I can get nervous. Yeah, I get nervous. Like, you know, I can't think right now, but I mean, yeah. Like I get nervous maybe before the Bills game or during the Bills game. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be a wonderful. I'm totally leaving that in in post-production when I edit this. We're leaving that in because it's important for everybody to know. Anybody that knows my story knows that I always talk about I was born in Buffalo in the 70s. And it's been the Bills. My dad, who raised me, was a Bills fan. My birth mother and her family, who I obviously have had reunion with, they're massive, huge Bills fans. Right. And then I meet you guys, and you're all crazy, crazy Bills fans, too. So that's it. I, I love that the only thing that makes you nervous is, like, a Bills game. Yeah. Well, now even Alabama does, right? When I'm watching Thank them. And you, they, yes. When it moves in like they did. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. it's. It's, I think it's funny too, because when I met you all and I saw how crazy my sweet grandma is about sports, I was, I remember my family looked at me because I'm crazy. I'm like pee in your pants, crazy sports fan. Mm-hmm. So watching all you guys, I'm like, this is genetic. Yeah. This is a genetic trait you have passed to me. I'm yeah. a crazy, crazy sports fan. So, so the cool thing is we're just, I'm taping this obviously, but in post-production, I can take anything out that we want in here. I will just get some guardrails for a conversation and disclaimers for anybody listening, because this is exciting for me too. And nerve wracking because it's the first time that I've had anybody from any, anybody from my family on. So thank you for saying yes. I am excited. And I also think it's important. Obviously, you know that I started this podcast last year after I got my whole story, which you, kindly gave me, which we'll talk about our, that those moments. We'll talk about those today. But I, you know that I started this because I started to realize there was all these other adoptees that exist out there, some younger than me that are still going through. I take a picture of us. Oh, geez. Some of them are going through like the same things that I went through growing up and also into my adult age. And what is crazy to me is we, a lot of us share the same feelings, which is as kids, we just kind of go forward and go with the flow and do what our you know, parents tell us. And that's what kids do, right? But then when we get older and we become our own per- people, maybe even starting having kids and families of our own and life starts happening, some of us, me especially, I started to get like re-engaged and wondering the story around my, like the circumstances of my adoption. So I always was curious and it's like gone up and down over the years, but in in 2020 in particular, I got really curious about my ethnicity, which is what made me, at the prodding of my family, do the ancestry DNA test. So again, anybody listening that knows my my side of the story, they know that I did an ancestry DNA test and then eventually found out my ethnicity, which was super mixed, thanks to your side of the family. <laughs> but that was the first time I had validation that I have African ancestry. And it was the first time that I had validation that I was indeed mixed, not white, like my, like I was told when I was growing up. So I did not expect that I was going to start searching for people that were tied to my ancestry. But as, as my curious self, you know, of course did, I started to send out messages to people that I connected with on the DNA side. And, you know, yes, somebody said, I don't know who your mom is, but. I know you come from this family and our tree, you know, they started giving me information about the family tree. And then one thing led to another. And I started start Googling every name I could find. And one night we landed on your picture and I was there with, you know, my significant other who said, that's him. That's him. He had like goosebumps and we totally knew that you were him. And I sent you a message on Facebook. So maybe we can start there. I guess I feel like, since this episode, it's the first time that I am having somebody on from my family, but it's also not, I always say everything from my perspective because it's the only thing that I've like known about is my side of the story until I met you. You know, I met my birth mother a long time before I met you. She found me, but she wasn't very forthcoming with the story. So I still didn't know the story, even though I had that reunion with my birth mother's side of the family. It wasn't until I met you that I started to like put in, put together all the missing pieces. So thank you for your reaction to me when I slid into the DM and I'm like, Hey, I think I might be your daughter. <laughs> so can you, I don't know if you were able to tell us what the heck that day felt like getting the message. Well, um, I'm getting goosebumps now. Just so you know, 
Well, when I saw that Facebook, you know, direct message, I immediately said, yes, that's my daughter, you know, because there was enough information there that was evident that, yes. And I believe what it said, you know, because you knew the birth mother, you know, said her name. I said, yeah, I know her. (laughs) I know the baby. Yeah. So I think I wrote back him. It was active. I wrote back, yeah, you're my daughter. And yeah, yeah, then we corresponded, you know, from there. But it was very exciting. I have been always wondering if I would ever meet you again. Then, you know, all I remember was a little baby girl, right? Little plump baby girl with the same (laughs) head shape I got. Because <laughs> we have head, this head, head. big head. <laughs> yeah. So like were yeah. you were you nervous to get the message? Because like my experience up until that point was my birth mother had a lot of secrets for me and she was afraid of all of these promises that she had given to her parents about yeah. you know what she'd be truthful with and what she would take to the grave. And she very much so was gonna take you to the grave, right? I was never gonna hear from her the story. And you appeared to be like completely opposite. So wh- why, how were you so open? Was it because you're, you told your family? Like, and again, just thinking about the people that listen to the podcast, there could be birth fathers that are out there that also went through what you went through, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like, and there's also people like me that try to reach out to people like you and get totally denied the relationship. So how were you able to respond to me with such an honest and open, excited, way and not like an embarrassed nobody should know about you go away your mistake like horrible way that's deeply troubling to a lot of people i've talked to so many people that that's their experience i feel locking me and blessed this is mine but why but but it's mine because you were you responded how you responded so like how did you even do that well i felt that it was an answer to prayer that we reconnected you know i would pray for that and then you know like i told you before, like, if I'm walking down the street and I see a little girl that looks like what I think you should look like, or even an adult, I didn't get so much into the adults because they're adults, but, you know, I'm always with, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? You know, so I was excited and thankful that we reconnected. And, you know, because we were in different towns at the time. I couldn't wait to see face to face. Yeah. And at the time, obviously, you were married, you had two kids of your own that were significantly, I mean, they were teenagers at the time. Did did everybody, did they know about me or did you have to tell them? Before well, they um, yeah, they knew, you know, that I had a baby when I was 20, 21 years old. And they knew that the baby was adopted away. They knew pretty much the circumstances, not so much my kids, but, you know, my wife did. And she felt, you know, sympathetic for that, you know. And when we connected, and then I'm telling them all this stuff then, you know. And of course, your brother and sister, they were happy. And the other thing was, you look so much like my daughter here. You know, you guys look like, you know, you're definitely sister. No doubt. Of you're you just, know, a, you're the older, you know, than she. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I just want to say, because this is a big topic in like the adoption and foster world is if we don't see people that look like us, we don't feel like we necessarily necessarily belong. So, you know, I was adopted into a white family. And even though they told me I was white, that flew with me for quite a long time. But at some point I realized it can take me too long to realize I really don't look like you all. And all my friends look like their families. And I see siblings that look alike. And even into my adult life, I used to be so blown away by siblings or parent-child relationships when they looked alike. I used to get so blown away and I never had that experience. You know, somebody brought to my attention recently, the first biological person that I ever met that was like related to me blood would be when I gave birth to my first child. So when I was, you know, 25 and I had my first baby, it was the first person after 25 years that I was meeting that was, that looks like me, that is mine, that is blood tied to me. So it almost is like my connectivity to people started there. And then five years later, I did meet my birth mother and five, well, however many, 15 years later, I obviously now know you guys, but nobody in the whole story looked like me until I met you guys. So I look like your side of the family. I look like, I look like your daughter, my half sister yeah. and my yeah. brother. So then you look like, like my mom. 
and I'll act like your mother. I know. So, so, so your family, so you grew up with a brother, a sister, and your mom raised you. Can we talk a little bit about like your sort of like when I was born or maybe we'll go there? Okay. Because, yeah. Well, I guess maybe before there, is there anything else that you want to say at the moment about like the reunion that would be helpful to other people that get contacted by or any, anybody else that finds themselves in your situation? Because with technology now, knowing the whole, there's a whole lot of us that are looking for a whole lot of you. I'm still struck that you were open, you know, because you didn't have to be that way. Well, first of all, that was a part of my life that was missing you. So I was excited. I was happy, you know, thankful that, you know, we got, you know, reconnected. So that's what I, my immediate, you know, feelings were, oh, here's a part of my life that I missed for those, wow, what was it? <laughs> like 30 years. Or 40. 40. Yeah, over forty. Yeah, forty. I don't want to tell your age, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You know, so what I mean, so like that's what happened for me. Like, oh, well, here's a part of my life that I didn't have. You know, so then when we got back together, like, okay, well now we're starting from here forward with you know life together. You know, again, I was just happy, thankful, and felt that, again, like I say, my prayers were answered. That now we can share life again together because when you were you know you said you want to say something about the beginning like when you were a little baby but that's a long story well your mom birth mom and I were boyfriend and girlfriend we met in high school and here's a little love story I remember walking down the hall in school and I saw her from a distance and she just lit up saw me smile and I smiled back thing was I transferred from another school to the school she was going to and so, of course, I was one of the new guys, handsome and, <laughs> and an athlete. I think she's attracted athletes, like that type of thing. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, we just said hi or whatever. And then we would see each other in school and, you know, previously, you know, got to be boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, actually, I was a year older than her, so I graduated. And, you know, we were still connected. Yeah, actually, I went away to school and played football in college. But when I come back in a you know break time, you know, we hang out and everything. So <laughs> one of those break times, I came home and you were created. <laughs> how, and, how did you know that? Do you remember like hearing getting that call? Well, let's see. Yeah, I do. It's a long Actually, time ago. You're old now. So you might no, it was like more. We were face to face when it happened because I think it happened during a Christmas break. I came back after that. And like, yeah, and then she oh, said, like the face the face. Yeah, she, she was pregnant, yeah. And I believe. And of course, I'm excited, you know, at that time, you know, being young, 20, 21, just having a baby was a big deal. <laughs> you know, I'm a man now. I got a baby. <laughs> right. your, mother, your mother, how did your mom react? Well, you know, well, you know my mom. First thing she said, how are you going to take care of a baby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you're the because, oldest. You're the oldest of the three, so yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't really working. I was on an offside job, whatever. You know, during my break from school, you know, my big thing was I wanted to, you know, go to college play football. I didn't want to start working. <laughs> but anyway, so, but because this happened, I switched colleges, came back home to be closer to your your birth mother, and all that. So I was back in, at home, and. I went to school there too, and you know, you know her. She's young. She was at home at her mother's house, and we. Were, I had my own apartment. I was, you know, young guy. Had, had the huh? You had your bachelor pad. Yeah, my bachelor's pad. I had another another guy roommate that was at my house, and he was also on the football team with me. And we both were halfbacks. I was one halfback on one side, his halfback on the other side. And I gotta admit, you know. <laughs> we had girlfriends. <laughs> so, but when, but I really liked your birth month. So I didn't really play around too much when I was young, you know. And, but she was really my, she was, I think we call them our, my main squeeze, right? It's your main squeeze. Yeah. So, but we had fun, you know, we did our thing, you know, have our weekends or whatever. Cause, you know, she was still in high school. Then when she got out of high school, you know, we would 
see each other more. But because she was white, you know, of course, back then in, you know, 75, 76, that was not a popular thing to have interracial couples. So it was kind of hard on her. I mean, for me, it was cool, you know. Now, my mother never raised me to be racist, but Black people were cautious because they knew from history things would happen if there was an interracial couple. One of them was that the baby would be aborted. If it was on the flip side, the female was white. You know, of course, if the female was black, we kept the kid. <laughs> so that's what we did. I mean, that was just tradition in you know black history. So, as far as my thinking was, that was it. You know, this is my baby. I'm, I, I have a responsibility. Have a baby. Yeah. You know, it's all natural. I, I did the thing, <laughs> so we got pregnant, and now we do the next step and go ahead on and you know raise the baby with us, but. So anyway. how soon how soon into the like after her announcement? Yeah. How soon afterwards was were you aware that she was like, I not having this baby or not keeping this baby? And I mean, how did then is that once you guys you were young, so I don't know if you even I don't know how young people have the words to communicate this stuff sometimes, but if if you're not talking to your parents about it and getting like counseling and all the things one would think could be helpful, you obviously neither of you were getting that so together you're making these decisions. Yeah. Was it soon after you found out that down there? And then she, you know, said something to me. Now some there was other girls that some of my friends had that were her friends and a couple of them already had babies. And so that she would communicate with them a lot. So Eventually, she revealed to me what was going on. Of course, her parents didn't know anything about it. But now she had a bump. And, you know, I'm, you know, going home ready to have the baby. You know, it's okay. Well, next step is we take care of you, have a baby. But, of course, you know, her feelings were that, well, I can't tell my mom. My mom, you know, give her a hard time. And she didn't have any answers from that side. But she just knew that what the deal would happen on her side was unallowable. Yeah. Again, back then, you know, 40 years ago, that was kind of like, I was. if you weren't married, you weren't supposed to have a baby, number one. And if it was interracial, that was definitely a no-no. So if I remember correctly, I think she had talked with one of her sisters even before she told her mom. And once, you know, her sister found out, he was like, oh, boy. Now she had some, like you're saying, counseling, but it wasn't keep the baby counseling. It was like, we got to take care of this, <laughs> you know. And so she was really confused, so your, your birth mother. Of course, I tried to comfort her and help her through as much as I could. But she was confused because she was a young girl, you know. And because a couple of, like, our mutual friends, you know, couples, interracial couples, too, they had babies. It's one girl, especially. And one guy was my good friend. And we all were close. We all were hanging together, you know. She had a baby, so it was okay, you know. Of course, Do you remember, did, was, was it a supportive family situation or was she also? Yeah, do you remember? Well, I believe her one sister was closer to her in age was, she was kind of supportive and excited because they didn't have any kids. Her, she had older sisters. They didn't have kids. But this was, oh, now there's going to be a kid in our family. So it was kind of like that. But then it was, well, what's mom going to say? How's mom going to react? You know, that was kind of like what was going on for a while. But the bigger the bump got, the less they could hide it, you know. So I know your birth mom and I would talk about it, and I would let her know, hey, we're going to have this baby. You know, that's what we're going to do. And she was okay with that, with me. But I think when she would go back home or be with her sisters, she was getting a different, you know, feeling about it. And eventually she told her mom. And, you know, that's when everything hit the fan. (laughs) Because her mom, you know, she really, she was upset. You know, here's her little sweet, her baby girl at that. Yeah. Now, pregnant out of, you know, wedlock to a black guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was really, you know, because she, she knew we were dating. And, did, you ever uh, meet the, did you ever meet her parents? I did. You know, like, you know, we had to, you know, actually sneak around a lot to, you know, have our fun. But then, you know, eventually she knew because I was calling the house. Back in them days, we had landline, no cell phones, no privacy. So I would call her mom, answer the phone, right? Whatever. So she just, 
she didn't really like your relationship, but she knew she couldn't control it because your broke mom would even sneak around to see me. Like we would come over my place. I could go over their place. I would maybe come by, pick her up outside, <laughs> when going house, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. I mean, I, what I told myself, like when I started, you know, when I was little and started to be curious, I was always where I was adopted, but I never knew the story behind it, which always bothered me. And I'm yeah. meeting now with so many other adoptees that, you know, loving whatever type of family they were adopted into, mine was, you know, kind, loving. I've met many people who did not have loving and kind families, which is like, it's horrible. Regardless of what the stories are, we wind up being curious. Who do I look like? Where do I come from? Some of us more than others. But, you know, now there's so much research, which is why we're all speaking out now, is to say, this is my experience. So you can learn and do better next time, make better policies and things like that. So, so, you know, I always try to give a little bit of room now that everything was always from my perspective. But then when I did this search and I reached out to you, it opened up such a box because so many people are connected to the one little baby, me, in these situations. So when you open up the box of search and reunion, there's family, decade old family secrets that are like blowing up and people that are getting upset and things like that. So I was only able to do this search when I started to focus on myself and not worry I was going to offend my birth parent, uh, my, my parents who raised me. I could not worry about offending my birth mother. Like this was about me and my journey and my search. Mm-hmm. Now that I know you and I, you know, continued to a relationship with my birth mother, I feel like there's a little bit of healing that's been able to happen even on her side. So she had the secrecy. She was so sworn to secrecy and it, she decided to adhere to the secrecy for all of her reasons. And I've just sort of been able, people ask me like, how are you not so mad at her for holding the secret? And I'm like, her story is her story, right? So she can live with her decisions. She was able to somehow track down me. I have no idea how she's kind of told me the story of tracking me down. I'm not sure how it happened, but she tracked me down somehow and still was secrecy with secret, secretive when she found me, which I was super resentful for, right? Cause I'm like, I want the whole story. Right. And you're not giving me the whole story. So I always was thinking like, I'm not worthy of the truth. Everybody's lying to me, withholding information from me, which again is a theme that I keep hearing about amongst all of us that are not all of us, but so many of us that are adopted. You know, these people just get us and make up our names and our stories. And it's like total erasure of any life before the second that I was adopted. Hmm. Right. So in my case, I was born October 13th. My adoption date was December 21st. Ultimately, my birth mother obviously kept me and you guys moved in together and you had a family, a little family for a month. So, yeah, that was, well, for me, that was a big deal just to be close with her and do what we did. Because I had a pretty exciting time of life as a young guy. You were like ready to settle into family life. Well, yeah, because it was time to pick up my responsibility. Number one, that was. I mean, that's just how I, I was raised that, you know, this is my responsibility. I created this little baby. I got to take care of it, you know. But I was living with, a, like I said, my roommate and my football buddy. But actually, I kicked him out. <laughs> I said, hey, my girl's going to move in. We're going to have this baby. We got to change. I got to change my lifestyle. Because I was in a pretty wild lifestyle back in the day. I was a black hippie. <laughs> And all that it, it probably like terrified her and her family. Oh, yeah, like her family definitely. And she was, you know, she used to think it was cute, laugh at it, you know, and that type of thing. Um, but like, I, this is my thought. I, I'm curious what you think about this. So let's just pretend, like, I, I try to really put shoes on the other feet and be empathetic to other people's situations. Yeah. So I'm not like just pissed off all the time. Otherwise, I'd be like pissed off all the time, right? Because I'd be mad that my. Nothing it isn't. It isn't. So let's just, let's just pretend that you, your character was of such that her family, let's just pretend that it wasn't anything to do about you being black. Let's just pretend. And it was just the fact that she was young and you were, you know, a party playboy. Let's just pretend all those things are true. There are people that I have met and that I, stories that I now know that I like live in this space and I'm speaking out. In that circumstance, if she wants to give the baby up for adoption or terminate the baby, it winds up being her choice. When she says, I relinquish the baby to the adoption agency, 
do you believe that there is an onus on the adoption agency to vet out the other side of the story to see if they you gave permission, number one, and or if there was anybody in your family that could take this baby. So this said baby, me, is connected to its biological roots. Do you feel like that should be because that's like part of the conversation these days is mm. people are just relinquishing babies, right or wrong, necessary or not, or removing babies from home, right or wrong, necessary or not. And then they're just quickly getting like adopted off into permanent situations. And that was deemed better than searching you out and trying to find anybody on the other side of the family, the father's side of the family, to see if there's any any way that you can be, you know, that baby can be can remain with biological family. Do you do you, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's a deep conversation that's going really on today. Yeah. The onus on these agencies to find family. Yeah. Right. It takes two people to tango. So if one is coming in, you know, handing off a baby, where's the other side? Yeah. And there, well, it, I don't, I don't know, but, but based on what I've sort of dug up directly with the agency that handled my adoption, I don't think they looked for you. Well, I don't know either because I wasn't involved, but from what I understand, well, there's two things. Yeah. I think that it should be that way. And maybe nowadays things might be a little different because we're a little bit more progressed in this area, I would hope. Um, but stop you right. I, let me just tell you something. When I started con- conversing, you know, communicating with people about this topic and my story and letting them know this, I'm literally talking now and sharing the story because I found out these things still do exist. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So that's why I think it's important for our story to be shared in other stories like ours because this used to happen and it's still happening happening. Is there like a law somewhere? So I'm not like super seeped. There are definitely advocates that are doing a lot of really good work to make sure that like the charts are open, the truth is preserved, it's available for adoptees. It's state wide, you know, laws. So they vary from state to state. Obviously I was born in New York. It was a very closed adoption state. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other places, it could have always been, there could have been, I met somebody when I was in high school who adopted a child and it was an open adoption. And I remember being floored at the time. I was probably 18 years yeah. old. And I was like, you know who her birth mother is? How does that happen? I thought everything was a secret. And they're like, no, in our case, we were open. So, you know, it's all case by case and it varies, but I think there's still like nefarious. It's a big booming business. If you think about the adoption industry. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, there's so many people making so much money off these babies being passed around. There's attorneys. I recently, there's a, there's somebody that I follow on Instagram and recently she calls out like all the ugly side of, of the transactional, the transactionness of passing a human from one family to another. And listen, there's people out there that call it like complete trafficking of babies. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're taking a baby. And you're selling it to another person. And I saw on Instagram recently that somebody commented, one of the horrible things that I see happening on Instagram is that when we adoptees are speaking out about our experiences, there are people that are like trolling adoptees online in some cases. And they're saying, like they're questioning the stories and the perspectives. So for example, if I'm sharing my story, somebody could hear me talk about it. And the only thing that I'll some people will say back to me is you should be grateful that you were raised in such a nice, loving family and they gave you all the opportunity in the world. Yes. And I was stolen from my dad and, you know, there was a whole family that was there ready to accept me. I think you told me the story about one of your aunties who was like, I will help you and I, I will be able, I can financially afford to help raise this baby. So I was shocked when you told me like your side of the story, of course, which the only conclusion is I was totally taken from you and nobody did any due diligence to find you. And, and on the other side, my parents who couldn't have biological children who my mom couldn't, it was my mom. She had a hysterectomy when she was younger and she couldn't have children of her own. And there are definitely adoptees out there that are saying you people need to rethink how you're building your families. The, other people's babies. And when I started to like read all that stuff just within the last year or two, it was so deep and it's horrible. And then it makes me think about how that's exactly what my parents did. Mm-hmm. And I love them, you know, because I think they, did they know, didn't they know? I'll never know the real, if they knew your story, 
but yeah, I don't want it to happen to somebody else, another birth father. And fathers, we have such a horrible, you know, media did a horrible job of portraying black fathers as it is. So when you have one that wanted to stand up and literally the right was taken from him, I think it's, it's something that needs to be stopped. No, no, it, 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 uh, it was definitely devastating for me. Like what happened was. Yes, tell me, tell us, tell us in your words, because I know, and if anybody wants to hear my whole personal essay, they can listen to it in season one, episode four. I read my personal essay, but for somebody listening to this today yeah. and hearing your voice, tell us what happened to you that night you came home. Well, yeah, yeah. Like we were saying, I kicked all my buddies out and just me, your birth mother. And then you came. Well, actually, there's a little story back at that time, too. But we, well, let me put that in there. Okay, so what happened to you? We were living together, your birth mom and I. And then you, oh, yes, yeah, it was right in close, closer to the time when you were supposed to be born. Anyway, she went back home to her mom's house. I don't know why, but it's, she went back. But I kept telling her throughout that time, like, okay, well. Don't get abortion. But that was being kind of fed to her at that time. So she was having a hard time. Should I handle abortion? Should I keep the baby? You know, all these different things. But anyway, she did keep the baby. So I told her that I would take the baby. And my family, we would take care of the baby. So that's our baby, you know, right? So anyway, she went to the hospital. She, you know, got labor, went to the hospital. Now, they didn't, well, from what I understand, her mother just didn't want me to be a partner your birth mom's mom. So they didn't tell me. But then your birth mom's, you know, older sister that's right close to her age, they called me and say, hey, your birth mom's in the hospital. She had a baby. I'm like, what? So I go over to the hospital and, you know, good thing that your birth mom's mom was not there, but her sister was there so I can come in and look at the baby and all that I, stuff. I don't think look I did you. that. You, ca- you came in the hospital? Yeah, because I found out, like, through the birth mom's older sister that was right close to her age. Yeah. But then I came up there, you know, but, you know, your birth mom's mom went there, but her older sister was there. So it was okay. I guess that's when she called me because the coast was clear, right? So yeah. I could come over. But she worked with us a lot. I got to give her credit. She tried to help her little sister out. And she, you know, saw I'm going to be father, you know. Anyway, but it was just like a quick thing. And then I went back home because. If I remember correctly, your birth mom was told that if she had the baby, she couldn't bring the baby back to her mama's house. So she had to come to my house. So I'm already, I mean, I had a little crib. We had a special room. We had, I think, two or three bedroom apartment, but there was a bedroom set up for the baby in the crib and all that kind of stuff. I was one of my buddies who had to kick him out. <laughs> so that was why. And no, no longer a bachelor pad. No, no longer bachelor pad. It was no, you know, it was not at all bachelor pad. <laughs> it became a home, you know. Mm-hmm. And back then, common law, you know, was part of how we did it. So I was a hippie, so we just got together. We did it. And anyway, so she had to come back to my house because she could not take you back to her mother's house. So she came to my house. So we were there for a month. And I got to tell you, she didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> First time mother. And she didn't have any kids in her family. And her, and her mom left her like a baby. Yeah, mom, yeah, 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 yeah. Supporting anything. Now, her sister, her older sister, Pulford, did. She would communicate, still saying communication with her. So, you know, basically, her birth mom was, she was devastated. First one is brand new life right here. But then her family cut her up. You know, it's part of the deal that if you did this, you know, you're out, out the family. So, anyway, we're at the house, we're doing our things. Now, I was working, you know, and then I got a second job when uh, your birth mom and you came home. And, you know, I kind of look back at it. I think, well, she must have been having a hard time when she was there by herself. Even, like, changing diapers was a big, you know, thing for her. But then my family tried to pitch in a little bit, much of, you know, everybody couldn't, like, my brother, for sure, because he was young, but he wasn't doing anything. But he, like, babies, he would babysit for different family members, so he would help. My mother couldn't really help because she was working, you know. She was a hard-working single mother, so she didn't work. But I did have one out that, you know, mentioned she was going to help me out. Uh, she would help take care of you. Because I actually take care of her kids sometimes, too, because she worked for a bit. But right at that point, she was available to work. She was working, I mean, to help, you know, take care of you. 
we kind of had a laid out where, you know, I, I would have to bring you to her. And that discussion came up when, you know, your birth mom was having a hard time. Do I want to keep the baby, not want to keep the baby? And I just kept saying, no, we keeping this baby. <laughs> you know, And I got people that take care of her because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing either, really. But, you know, I had my family's going to help me out. But, you know, you know, so what happened was I'm at work one day and, you know, tired, working two jobs. I come home like, it was at night, dark. I can't remember now, 11 o'clock at night or something. And that apartment's empty. You know, nobody's there. You're not there. Your birth mom's not there. All her clothes are gone. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out now. I try to call her, but I get no answer, you know. I was trying to call her for days. She wouldn't answer the phone. And her home phone, no doubt. You're calling the home phone. Yeah, I do remember a couple of times her husband answered the phone and yell at me and hang the phone up or something like that, you know. So I didn't know what happened, you know. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. So, you know, some time went on, went by, and then your birth mom, she contacted me and told me what happened. How long was this? Do you remember how long this was after? Well, it was maybe a couple of months at the most, something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, she, now she was starting to, you know, she was feeling bad anyway, I'm sure. And she had nobody's shoulder to cry on because they, the adoption was part of the way it was, you know. That's how we, that's how they did it. <laughs> Black baby. <laughs> so then she contacted me and then she finally told me what happened and, you know, we, you know, we were crying on each other's shoulder or and I would see each other. No, she would have to sneak out or sneak over to my house. But what she told me was that she had to, you know, adopt the baby because, you know, she was going to get cut off from her family. But she didn't know where you were. That was like part of the deal. Oh, incidentally, going back to birthday, I meant to say this. I wasn't on the birth certificate. Yeah, the, birth, yeah. the birth certificate said, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but we can fix that. <laughs> um, oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, your birth mom's name was on it, but the, my name was not on the birth certificate. So you're talking about uh, advocating for, you know, the fathers that don't get consulted about the situation. But that's one reason why they couldn't consult me because they didn't know who I was on the birth certificate. And your mom's parents weren't going to say, oh, well, it's this guy here. They, they, they wanted it known. They wanted to totally, you know, take me out of the, equation. So I would think that maybe some of the situations, that's what the deal is. They want to take the father out of the equation. Yeah. Or perhaps maybe the father is a deadbeat dad type guy. He doesn't want to be He doesn't want the baby. Yeah. And, and I always say that's part of like the disclaimer of this conversation is yeah. we don't know and we don't assume, you know, so, so who knows? However, yeah, what we do know is they, I mean, so what I don't know is if somebody advised her to leave your name off so she could be in control, her and her family could be in control ultimately of the decision, or I don't know. I I mean, that that to me is one of the issues. And there could be somebody that ultimately listens to this and knows this answer. I do remember there's an organization called the Archie Project, and I saw a video one day that they created, and it was a mother, a pregnant young pregnant woman who... The video was capturing her real story of having the baby, relinquishing the baby. It was like this wrenching video to watch because it was the first time I've ever seen that transaction happen. What what also is needs to be like eradicated is some of these organizations, some of these players in the adoption industry prey on people like my birth mother. Right. So they can get her to relinquish her baby. So now they have a commodity to sell. Right. Right. And a, and a lawyer is involved and a judge is involved. Like there's so much transactional dollars that fly around over this adoption. And there are people that would rather see that her relinquish the baby than even look for you and potentially, or there's another concept that's like mind blowing that people don't even think about this first. What if you helped her? and her family, or you guys as a young family, young families like yours, and gave you guys the money to support your young family, right? Like that should exist. That should be the first option is to help the baby and the young family stay intact 
get the proper education for being parents. I mean, when I had my kids, I went to birthing classes and I went to all these things to ensure that I was, I was reading books and making sure that I was totally prepared. So, you know, what if it existed that you had support, you know, at 19 and 21 years old to, you know, to do this, they'll pay a foster family to take me and they'll accept and people can then buy me and adopt me, but they won't give you a dollar to help you create the home and get the education that you need to be a parent. And and I do know that there's people actively trying to make sure that that's an option because adoption should be the last resort, not the first. And what, and what we see happens, I'm not saying this is every case, but what happens, like in my parents' case, my parents couldn't have biological children. They wanted to have a family, adoption, you know, infertility treatments, all these things. People actually go for, I believe people might even go for infertility treatments. Adoption almost becomes like, the la- in some cases, the last effort to make the family that you always wanted, yeah. again, at, at your, at your expense. Yeah. So, so, so she's gone. So at, at this point in the story, she's gone. She has reconnected to tell you what happened and everybody kind of parts ways. What happened to you, like mentally at that moment and physically? Cause I know that you ultimately left Buffalo. So what? Then, well, um... And I'm asking because I met you and I remember I felt so bad for you when I met you and I heard this story that this was your experience. So again, kind of acknowledging the birth parents out there who either the mothers who carried and then relinquished or the fathers who had or didn't have any access. What happens? Because your whole life is that with this like horrible thing that happened. Did you tell yourself like my baby's been stolen and or did, did you just have to kind of cut it off and move on? Like what happened to you? Well, I, you know, I had to, you know, I had to adjust, you know, you know, my feelings, my emotions, because I was really upset. You know, I was hurt, you know, for two reasons. You know, one of them is that it'll just happen, you know, because I was looking forward to a family. You know, I'm a, I'm a family guy. I like, I love family. I love, you know, that. And I just thought that our relationship with your birth mom and I would carry on. So here I lose, you know, her, I lose the baby and. Now here I am all by myself, you know, young guy, you know, I was in college, but you know, my finished college and then I just felt like I wanted to leave town. You know, I, I just wanted to get out of that area. Of course, it was a, a town that wasn't really like LA or New York. So it was like a whole country, funky town, you know, Buffalo. <laughs> but so I actually left him with the wife, you know, I would actually help build a house because I was in the construction at that time. So go help, you know, someone build a house and fell in love with Hawaii. I kind of had this, you know, thing of kind of forget about everything. So I stayed in Hawaii for actually 20 years, but I just had to get away. You know, I had to escape, you know, the memories, you know, because just being in that area, I mean, I felt that I would be, and that's what I did anyway. I mean, like I mentioned, I would be looking at little kids had, you know, light skin, you know, pretty eyes, you know, I would, is that my baby? You know, and, you know, and I would do that a lot. I just, it, oh, I couldn't, yeah. I can't imagine thinking about having to exist, having kids of my own if they were like gone. I don't, yeah, no, I can't it, comprehend. Right. You know, it was like that. And, and the thing was now, if, if, you know, a baby would have died, that's one thing you have to, you know, deal with that, accept that. But here's, Baby didn't die. She's someplace. Yeah. And I wanted to be with her. I wanted to, you know, hold a little baby. I wanted to change the poo-poo diapers, you know, and everything, you know. That I, you know, just wanted to raise, you know, my baby, you know. Uh, but I didn't get that chance, you know. So I was, you know, kind of messed up in the head a little bit. Emotionally, for sure, you know. One good thing I can say is my family around me, they were very supportive. Of, of me, you know. But one thing I do notice too that I'll say, it was almost like that was how things went back then, especially in a, in a racial issue. Like, oh well, that's what happens, you know. Nobody never necessarily said that, but that was just felt like a feeling for me back then. Um, as, as you know, you know, back then was a heavy, you know, civil rights thing going on, and black and whites didn't mingle legally. <laughs> but kind of shit went on to slave days <laughs> but this yeah, was different yeah you yeah. know i didn't expect this you know 
So yeah, I was hurt and I just felt lost. Like I said, I was looking around for my little baby. I want to find my baby. Where's my baby? Where's my baby? You know? Yeah, I was not included in it. Oh, that was such a good conversation. And I was so nervous. I did not know what to expect um, when we got on camera. So I hope you found some piece in there that perhaps resonates with you and your story so you don't feel like you're on this journey alone. Um, We talked so much, uh, which I found out I come from a long line of chatty Cathy's. So I've decided to break the episode um, into two. And I hope that you come back and listen to the second part of our conversation where we discuss the adoption as an industry, the politics of adoption, the importance of identity, the value of healing, and we will share more about a special moment that we had when we initially were getting to know each other. And it's one that really speaks to the ties that bind us to our biological families, whether we get to know them throughout our lives or not. So just as a reminder, um, together, I find this not just healing, but I find amplifying our voices to expose a system that at times fractures families for the gain of others is so purposeful. I'm humbled by the opportunity to uncover um, my roots that were meticulously concealed for decades. I continue to say nobody should have to endure a prolonged search or go through such arduous efforts to uncover their own history. So I hope you enjoyed this part one. I I also hope that you can find some time to join us for part two. Uh, And I do want to also acknowledge, I understand the sensitivity of this topic. And I am committed to continuing to create space that respects all adoptee stories. So whether you found what you were looking for, you found nothing, or you faced a reunion that might have been different than what you imagined, I I really do mean it. Please reach out. I feel very much so um, that I'm here to support and the Adoptee Diaries was created to stand as a platform for your stories too. So thank you so much for listening. Find us on Instagram. Send me a message. I am here for you and I'll see you soon.